everyone. Welcome to the Special Story Podcast. I'm Sharon. And I'm Steven. We're just here talking about our lives, raising kids with special needs. I'm recording this podcast with a scarf around my neck, heavy socks and slippers on my feet, and I just finished drinking cocoa. And we're inside. And we're inside. I know. I know. It makes it sound like we're like recording from the ice rink, but we're not. It's just freezing outside. Yeah. Been too cold temperature-wise, and then they've it's been windy on top of it, which makes it all the worse. And yeah. Well, what's the actual degree? What, what temperature is it outside right now? I think it's 19 right now. It's like 3.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. And the real feel is 7. Yeah. So it's 19 degrees, but it feels like 7. Don't like it. No. I think it's too cold. I mean, if, if you're listening and you live in like Minnesota, this is probably not a big deal for you. But here in Virginia, this is really, really cold. Very cold. In fact, the kids had... So our kids go to a private school and this is i don't understand this but our kids go to a private school typically they do take off martin luther king day which is i think which is common all the public schools do this year for whatever was happening in the school schedule they actually did not have the day off and then but then they closed the school because it was so cold and they just thought it would be too cold inside Mm -hmm. so we actually had the kids home from school today which was nice i'm actually glad i mean to, to me personally i would prefer them to be home on days like today, rather than freezing in school. Do we really want to talk about we send our kids to school where it's too cold inside the building? <laughs> well, okay. Well, in the school's defense, the school building that that they purchased is like this historic building from 1910. Yeah. And I do not know how old the HVAC system is. I know they're repairing it this year, mm-hmm. but it's old. I mean, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, I don't know. It, I don't. I don't get the impression that it works all that well. <laughs> Which is why they're replacing it again. Right, right. <laughs> why they're replacing it. But um but yeah, but like okay, generally I, think, I just thought it would be good to clarify that we're that this the circumstances, yeah. So good. Okay. It just sounds funny. Like, what do you mean? It just sounds funny. Like, we're sending kids are our kids are private school and uh, Where they have no heat? It's just not they don't have any heat inside. <laughs> do you think that it makes it sound like secretly we're sending them like to, to like jail or something? Where, where are they? In a barn? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What kind yeah. of school is a that? Super secret private school yeah. that takes yeah. place, yeah, in the middle of the outdoors. Yeah. No, it's just, I mean, this is how school buildings are, though. Yeah. I mean, our cousins who are our, so my in laws who live in upstate New York, which is where I grew up, in, in upstate New York, they don't have air conditioning systems in the school. Mm-hmm. And they have the opposite problem. Right. So, like, when it gets too hot, it's like the schools up there just get crazy, crazy hot because they don't have air conditioning because generally it doesn't get that hot in the spring. Right. You know what I mean? So, anyway, it's just yeah. it all depends on the climate where you live. But here it's freezing, and I'm glad that we're inside. <laughs> it is nice to be inside. And speaking of inside, last night we were inside enjoying some amazing NFL, a- AFC and NFC championship games. Yeah. Both of them were ridiculous. I guess – this was the first time in NFL history both games went in overtime. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so it was really fun to be inside, actually, last night with the fire roaring and the NFL yeah. games on and we had some of your family over and it was... Yeah, we did. It was fun. It was we a- had a very impromptu, like, football party last yeah. night because the... Well, you know, if you, if you remember from last week's podcast or maybe you blocked this out... We are Patriots fans in my family. So when they ended up going to the AFC championship, we just kind of were like, hey, anyone who wants to come over and watch the game with us, come on over. Um, And then we ended up getting a lot of my siblings because of the fact that today is Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, that helped because it was a night game and people did come. But I will say, historically, if it's a playoff game and the Patriots are in it, your family 
does a great job of assembling. And yeah, we rally. Together. Wherever the, you know, whoever's hosting or whatever. So you guys usually yeah. are all together for those games. Well, this is kind of like the upside of rooting for a team that the rest of the country hates with a passion is that unless you're watching it with other Patriots fans, then you're watching it with people. So you either watch it with Patriots fans or you watch it with people who are like rooting for your ultimate destruction. Yes. So it makes you more motivated to watch it with other fans. That's right. Because That's there's, right. there's no middle ground. It's not like you can just watch it with people who are just like enjoying the game. That's not really a thing. It's like there's a minority of people who root for the Patriots and then the entire rest of the country is hoping that like all of the Patriots just – you know, meet their untimely doom in some way. And, and, so. and, and yeah, and, <laughs> and just, we know that. We just, know that. Yeah. So anyway, so that's uh, kind of what what's, we've been up to lately is is uh, enduring the cold and enjoying football. And and then we kind of wanted to wrap up the last installment of Lulu's yeah. first winter. You know, what's funny is I actually did not intend for this to be like this like major three part installment. But whenever we get into talking about it, I remember how much actually happened in those in the span of like a couple months. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because I feel like so much went on behind the scenes that a lot of people probably didn't know was happening or, you know, like, yeah, you know, or or it's just you just don't always know all the details. I feel like that still happens to this day when we know people who have children who are in the hospital or sick or something. It's like you get an update every day or every other day or a couple times a week with kind of just an overview of how that child is doing. But it's like. You do not get like the nitty gritty day in day out of what's happening, and so anyway, so it's just I, in some ways I feel like it's it's nice to be able to share in in a longer format all of exactly what did happen with her. Yeah, I think it is. It's good, and and uh, so yeah. On that note, um, I think where we left off was Lulu was getting better, and I, or maybe we even got discharged. We got discharged. Got discharged. Okay, so from we came there, home, yeah, and then. And then she she was doing okay, and we started weaning off the steroids. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the plan is that they they put her on the steroids. She stays on for a couple months, and then they gradually wean her off. We and still when they, haven't seen any seizures. We haven't back. seen any seizures. Looking good. And the idea is that if you wean her off and the seizures never come back, then theoretically you're kind of considered safe in the clear. Yeah. In the clear, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, so she's home, weaning off the steroids, but we see in parallel with that. Yeah, in parallel with the fact that she's weaning off the steroids, she her appetite starts to decrease. Well, and because her appetite was pretty strong during during the steroids, correct? Yeah, and maybe we should have seen it coming because of that, because we, we did notice how much her appetite increased when she was on steroids, but I think I just did not think through the fact that her appetite would decrease a lot when she came off the steroids. Yeah. But that's exactly what happened. So like, it seemed like, so in th- the steroids, they're weaning off. It's week by week. So every week, or maybe it was twice a week, they're gradually tapering that amount down. Mm-hmm. But so her appetite is slowly descending with the steroids. So mm-hmm. it's like she went from drinking, you know, 12 ounces of formula, and then the steroids go down, and then she starts drinking eight. And we're not too concerned. But then the steroids go down again. She starts drinking six. We're not too concerned. But I mean, this, there's just this gradual progression down until she basically stops eating mm-hmm. at all. Like she refuses the bottle at all. Like it, it got to the point where if she was drinking an ounce of formula at a time, that was considered a good situation. I remember situation. we were like stressing over like we would look at the bottle like, okay, did yeah. you? how much did you get? Did you get? Okay, right. I got did you get? Yeah. Did okay. you get an ounce? Did you get Can a half you an ounce? Now you have a turn and like. Can and this is for a like, six-month-old. So a six-month-old, they should not be eating an ounce 
a half an ounce or an ounce at a sitting. Like that's what a newborn does. But we were like tracking this. Like, yes, intensely. We were. Like how? Yeah. How many ounces did you? I think get? I downloaded an app just like when you have yep. a newborn to say like you you know like please and everybody's logging here's how much she's eating and here's what time she's eating it and we're we're coordinating this of course all with our doctor and we're going in to see the doctor. And we're coming home and we're trying new things. And, you know, at some point she was eating so little that, you know, she wasn't even having any wet diapers. So at that point, I'm kind of, again, I'm, I'm kind of back in like, I don't want to say frantic mode, but I'm just, I'm really concerned and I'm calling the doctor and I'm like, well, what do I do? She's, she's really not eating. And the doctor says, well, if, if she's not having any wet diapers at all, then she is at risk for de- being dehydrated. You should probably take her to the emergency room. So like, probably a couple of weeks after we get discharged from the hospital, we're back in the emergency room for the fact that she's, she, I didn't know if she was dehydrated or not. Right. It was that, it was, it was borderline. The nurse from the ER actually recognized us. She's like, why are you back? I was <laughs> like, well, <laughs> funny story. We're back for something different. It's all, it's funny how it's just back, the back and forth of this journey. Of, oh my gosh. You know, the yes. One thing to remedy of an issue causes another thing to be concerned about, you know, so the yo-yo, the back and forth. We're, you know, we're out of the hospital. We're out of RSV. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of seizure clear. We're kind of, you know, looking good from that perspective. We're coming off the steroids. That's a good thing. Oh, we, now we don't. Now we're dehydrated. So. so basically when I took her to the emergency room, they said to me, listen, there's not a whole lot we can do for you here because the fact of the matter is that she's not really super dehydrated yet. So if she was, we could hook her up to an IV, we could keep her overnight, we could monitor her. But if she's not eating, there's really nothing that we can do about the fact that she's not eating. We can't force her to eat. So if she's not eating, what you need to do is you need to go to your doctor and you need to talk about like doing occupational therapy or something to encourage her to eat. Mm -hmm. And I was a little frustrated when they when they said that because I was like, well, our doctor is the one who told us to come here and talk to you guys. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of felt like it was just one of those situations where there wasn't really anybody who had like a clear answer of how to help her. Like the doctor was kind of like, listen, if she's if she's not eating, she's not having wet diapers, go to the emergency room. And then we get to the emergency room. They're like, well, she's not eating. It's not really our problem. Take her back to your doctor. They're thinking like, there's no, we can't solve this in the end. We, We can, we can remedy it for today. Right. But I was reassured to hear about the fact that she wasn't dehydrated. So at that point, mm-hmm. we were like, okay, at least we have some clarification on that. We went home. And then after talking to our doctor, we kind of settled on a plan, which was just to keep her hydrated while she was kind of detoxing almost from the steroids. Mm -hmm. Because we figured this was not going to be a long-term problem. We just had to get her over the hump. So what I started doing, and they do this with newborns sometimes, is I started just feeding her through a syringe. Mm -hmm. So I would just take a syringe, take some formula, and then I would kind of just slowly like, like not shoot it into her mouth, but just like like decompress the syringe into her mouth Mm -hmm. just so that she had something, some sort of fluid in her to keep her from getting dehydrated. And then... After, you know, probably like a week of ramping her up on that, she did start taking a bottle again and we did kind of work back up to her normal bottle level or her new normal for bottle mm-hmm. levels. So so now we got Lulu back. She's not on the syringe anymore. She's back with a bottle. Back with a bottle on smaller doses, which was totally fine mm-hmm. than what she was on with the steroids. So then the kind of the last thing that we had to do once she weaned off those steroids was go back and do a final EEG so at she's totally off the neurologist. Point, right? Yes. And I think the idea is that once you do that final EEG, that's when they can determine if you if you've if you've been on the steroids, you've weaned off the steroids. You go back, you do the EEG, and then they still don't see any seizure activity or any activity for the infantile spasms. Then I think that's when they can kind of confirm that 
you're in the clear mm-hmm. in terms of that they don't expect that those infantile spasms will come back. Right. The treatment worked. And again, the shelf life for infantile spasms is only about 12 months. So usually if she hasn't had them again within 12 months, she will not get them again mm-hmm. because infantile spasms, as the name would imply, really only applies to infants. Mm-hmm. So now the neurologist did tell us that she is at higher risk for epileptic seizures. Like she has like a 50% chance of having epilepsy as an older child or an adult. But luckily we have not seen any seizure Mm -hmm. activity yet. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's kind of always in the back of my mind. I do monitor her a lot more closely than I do say Max, for example. And I've taken her in again to do other EEGs just just to make sure that there wasn't any epileptic seizure activity. But so far, we've been okay. So mm-hmm. that was a huge relief. And just to, to kind us. of catch everybody up for a recap, remember this journey started really kind of New Year's Eve, right? Yes. And then we, you know, we were in the hospital for, what, it's in February in the hospital? In, in the hospital in February, yep. And um, then we get back and we're, we're going through this process of coming off the steroids. And so now really this EEG is, I think, in early April timeframe probably. Yep. Or, yeah, probably late March, early April yeah, that we no, do the final getting that, EEG. Getting the thumbs up. That was a big, yep. that was a huge day, huge day. A lot yeah. a lot of intensity kind of just building up to. to just a lot of anxiety going anxiety. into it, you know, just wanting to, want, really wanting to have that final EEG be clear. And Lou's and she's in good health at that point. But you know, we're not done yet because about a month later, guess what? <laughs> she's back in the hospital. Issue. She's got pneumonia. She's back in the hospital. She's back. I took her to the ER that night, right? Yeah, you did. It and was actually you actually took her in about midnight, and that yeah. was that was the night that we knew that she could not wait. Like she just, we actually went to the emergency room twice for that. We had gone to the emergency room earlier in the week because we thought she might have pneumonia. She seemed like she was having trouble breathing. And at the time, they were like, she has a bad infection. Or they, they said she has a bad cough. I think they said like she, she might have another case of bronchiolitis. They were like, but her breathing is okay, so just monitor her. Mm-hmm. And then three to four days later, we were just watching her and we're like, she, this, is, this is not good. Mm-hmm. It's really not good. She seemed like she was struggling to breathe. So at that point, you actually took her back to the emergency room. It was in the middle of the night, and she got diagnosed with pneumonia. Right. And we had been taught, I can't remember which point we were taught, sort of how to distinguish between like her struggling with breathing and and where do we get concerned. And they showed us how to look at a rib cage and how to, you know, what that's for retractions. Retractions. So it's hard to explain now, but the point is that we kind of at that point were. We're pretty confident we 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 knew what was going on and what, mm-hmm. what to look for and so forth. So we're back in the ER, go through that overnight. Lulu again is the 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 toughest kid. I mean, she's just as unbelievable. Yeah. And that we get through that. You know, mm-hmm. that was not a long stay or anything like that. Yeah, I think we just spent a day just, or two. Yeah, just then, enough to give her some breathing support. They put her on. I, they probably put her on something, maybe antibiotics or or maybe some sort of steroid for the. Um, bronchiolitis and the pneumonia mm-hmm. and then we were able to get discharged so that was good that was not like a huge situation and then about a month later in early june she ends up with pneumonitis which i think is like a lesser infection it's almost like not quite pneumonia level mm-hmm. but it's almost like the step before pneumonia so as you're as you're you know we're going through this and we, we you know we're we're going through this and i think it wasn't even still super on our minds at least i don't believe it was sharon that we were like connecting this with the fact this is all tied back to her heart condition and just or just kind of really having it sink in that her heart condition is just going to be playing a role in her respiratory issues, you know, and we didn't know when, you know, now it's June and we have another issue and sort of like... I think what I would say to that is that this was the process whereby 
we really discovered how much her heart was going to play a role in yeah. her life. You know, That's better said, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like when I was when I was referring to in the last podcast that her her heart condition was like that character off to the side of the movie that all of a sudden enters center stage and just like takes credit for everything and you're like oh my gosh i never even noticed you it's like i feel like this was the whole process whereby like this this thing her heart condition becomes like a major player mm-hmm. in her life story you know mm-hmm. what i mean like and we realized over the course of that winter what it really means to have kind of what they call quote unquote a heart baby um because yeah. I think before the start of that winter, we, like we said before, we didn't give a lot of thought to it. But after that winter, we were like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. we have a child with a heart condition and, and, and now we act like it. <laughs> yeah, it was on, it was ever <laughs> present people, in our minds. Yeah. yeah, it was ever present because people, you know, I, th- I feel like parents will, who have babies with heart conditions will tell you that this is the kind of stress that you go through where it's like every day your situation is changing. And that's how I felt like with Lulu. I felt like every single day, her situation is changing. Like over the course of that six months, we were at the doctor's office. I think we averaged about three times a week. So we're in there on a Monday. We're in there on a Wednesday. We're in there on a Friday. We're in there the next Monday, the next Wednesday, the next Friday. Some of that was follow-up since we went to the emergency room multiple times during, you know, whether it was for her eating or for the pneumonia or whatever. But then it was also just Let's monitor her breathing because for every time you go to the hospital, there's multiple times that you're that at least for us that we're seeing the doctor and we're monitoring her at home. Does she need to go to the hospital yet? Okay, not today. Does she need to go to the hospital today? Okay, not today. Does she need to go to the hospital today? Okay, not today. But it seemed like from about January to June, every single day we're actually asking each other that question. Is today going to be the day that she has to go back to the hospital? Mm -hmm. And it was like, for the most part, the answer was no, but she was never really well enough that we did not have to answer that question. Right. So that's where it's like all of a sudden you're like, yeah, we, we have a we have like a, a heart baby. You know what I mean? Like we have a baby whose heart condition is kind of like taking over her life. Mm-hmm. In addition to the fact that like these seizures were also kind of taking yeah. over her life. So we kind of had two, a double whammy. But that first winter was really the one where we saw probably the most symptoms from the fact that she had that unrepaired heart. So she had the two holes in her heart and they were unrepaired and i feel like that was just when we saw all of this stuff kind of come up and then every other winter after that i mean even up up into and including this winter it's like we operate off of that sense of like we don't want to have to go back to a place where we have to ask each other every day do we take her to the hospital today yeah like is today the day that we take her to the hospital so i feel like it's just that's something that we've been really thankful for that outside of that winter we've really never had to go back to kind of that place yeah yeah so you know you mentioned stress in there obviously you know we're we're telling part of the reason why we're telling this story and we're on we're having this podcast is to share with other folks you know they're going that maybe going through the same kind of thing that there's other people out there that are going through these kinds of challenges yeah and, and and that I think another thing is kind of like before this, we always saw other we saw other families maybe going through things things like this, and we just said, "There's no way." I don't know how we would. How, how would we ever? How could you? You know how you you read things like that on Facebook, and you turn to your spouse and you say, "Oh, can you even imagine?" And then the person says, "Oh, I can't even imagine," and you really believe that you can't imagine going through that. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and I feel like we very were, we very much were the parents who were just. I mean. I mean, I hate to say it, but like, we're, we're really nothing like super special. No. Like, like we were just kind of your ordinary parents who were just living our lives. Like, we didn't really, it wasn't like we, you know, had any sort of medical expertise. Like, we're not really particularly like, 
you know, like we had no extra qualifications to get us into this category of being special needs parents to a medically fragile child. And so it's like we actually would have been the people watching someone else go through this and saying, can you even imagine yeah. like, oh, I, I could never or or saying, wow, I can't imagine I could never do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I, I think one of the things that it's like we kind of wanted to communicate is that communicate kind of like outward, like into the <laughs> into the universe is that nobody's really born like that. Or maybe a, a few select people are born like with this amazing capacity to take on all the stress. And the rest of us normal people, you you tur- you go through a process whereby you turn into the kind of people who can do this. And I feel like this was the winter whereby we turned into the kind of parents who could who could live like this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not not because we were like sweet, like we're we're awesome and let's go to the hospital all the time, but just because it was like yeah, you know, always makes me think back to my sister-in-law Jill and you know and and they've gone through so many similar challenges um, and hopefully one day they'll tell that on this uh, podcast but um but I remember her saying you know in in wisdom like once you embrace it you know once you embrace the, this life you know then it it makes it a lot more possible and and um and so anyway so yeah I, I do think and one of the things you, you learn is you are more capable than what you thought and 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 your children are more capable than what you thought. Um, yeah. But I wanted to ask you, you know, as the mother and all the things you kind of you kind of had to toughen up and endure and 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 um, think about and worry about and see through during those that six month period. You know how how was that for you? Was were you, from an emotional standpoint? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we talked all the time. I was I always think you're tough as nails and. Your family thinks you're, you know, no one really would know, you know, how difficult this is. And and I think a lot of people even now are listening to the podcast, realizing for the first time how difficult this is, but what, how difficult this has been. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say about that, that six month stretch? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when I was going through it at the time, people said to me all the time, man, I can't believe how calm you are. Because like I'd yeah. go see the doctor and I'd just, oh, I'd be saying hi to the nurses and oh, we're back. You know, I'd kind of joke like, yeah, we're here. We're here for our daily visit. Don't mind us. Like we parked in the VIP parking section because we're like, mm-hmm. you know, we're here all the time. And I, I think I, I think I felt very calm in the sense that I just felt like I'm putting one foot in front of the other. Every day I feed her. I decide how her breathing is. I decide whether we need to call the doctor. I decide whether we need to go to the emer- emergency room. You know, and that, again, that was that was kind of just my daily process. But I, I will say that, you know, it, it does take, it obviously does take a toll on you. Um, you know, I, I can tell you that when we went in for that final EEG and the doctor said that she did not think that the infantile spasms would return, that was a huge burden off. I, I don't think I realized how much of a burden it was and how much it was affecting our daily lives, just watching for the infantile spasms and wondering if they were going to come back and living in that state of just re- of a real unknown mm-hmm. until she said they're gone. And all of a sudden, it was just like there was such a weight lifted that it was almost like I couldn't carry the enormity of the relief that I felt, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. it was like I couldn't I couldn't process the enormity of how much relief I felt. And so that was actually the day. Like, I don't think I cried. Oh, gosh. I I don't know if I cried at all in the hospital when she was in the hospital with RSV. Because, again, you're in go mode. You're like, okay, I've got to keep it together. I need to know what are we doing next and what are we doing after that and what is the plan. And, okay, she's going into the PICU. I can handle that. Although I think I did cry when we got transferred into the PICU. But that's because I was, like, attached to my nurse and I didn't want to lose her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um. But the day that we found out that she 
was clear of the infantile spasms. Like I was walking out of the doctor's office and I had Lulu in her stroller and like I didn't even make it to the car. Like I'm passing people who are walking. Like so I'm in the parking garage. I can see the car and literally as soon as I could see the car – because you know how you're like, <laughs> I feel like women can relate to this more, how you're like, okay, I just, I, I'm going to make it to the car and then I'm going to cry. But it's like, I didn't even make it to the car. Like mm-hmm. I, I made it until I could see the car. And then it was like, I just started sobbing. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, my eyes welled up with tears and I brushed them away. Like I was loudly sobbing in the parking garage and like people are passing me on their way to the doctor's office and I'm and I'm pushing the stroller. So it's not even like I can like cover my face with my hands. Like this is just this is for the whole world to see. But it was just like it was just this dam kind of broke and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden all of the emotion just came out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And And that's how that's how you dealt. I mean everybody's gonna deal with the emotional ups and downs. But the point is we we're we're wanting to share this partially just say, hey, listen, you know this is the best thing that's ever happened to us having Lulu, but mm-hmm. it's not, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely some challenges and some difficult times and, and we deal with them. And yeah, um, but I think, I think like you're saying, like, I, I feel like it did, although it's hard and it's like, in some ways, I, you know, I was telling Steve before the podcast, before we just started recording just now, I'm like, I feel like it's important to tell these stories because I feel like it's important not to gloss over the hard parts of mm-hmm. having a child with special needs and especially a, a medically fragile child. I think it's important for that story to be told and I think it's important for people to understand what it is that people go through when they have a child who is medically fragile. On the other hand, I think it's just as important to be able to say like, listen, if we can do this, oh, anyone, yeah. truly anyone can do this. Like, I am a worrier. I am kind of like a nervous Nelly. I am not miss like calm. Like we'll take it day by day. But I turned into that kind of person just because because I kind of because I had to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I felt like at the end of that whole six month period, if there was like things that I would say that I learned about myself, it was that number one, I trusted my own instincts more. Like, especially, like, when it came to the stuff with her seizures and even, like, her breathing and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just a parent who's literally never had to deal with – I mean, Max never got more than an ear infection in his life. I've never had to deal with respiratory issues. But all of a sudden, every day, I'm evaluating her breathing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it was like – but I did it and I learned how to do it, you know? And, and and so I think I just trusted myself more and it just built more confidence in me to be able to do this. So it's like – as hard as it is, it's not without without its its merit, I want to say. Like, it's not like it's just this stark, bleak thing where I'm like, and then this happened to us, and I hope you all feel sorry for us. Because I don't look at it that way. Like, I look at it as actually, like, this period of growth, this period of, yes. like, difficult growth. But it was like, at the end of it, I felt a lot more secure in my ability to parent a child with special needs. Because again, when, when, when you get that diagnosis, when you sit in the hospital bed and you get the diagnosis that you think your child has Down syndrome, the very first thing you wonder is not, you never think to yourself, oh, is my child good enough for me? You never think that. No parent ever thinks that about your child. You always think, am I going to be good enough to parent this child? Do mm-hmm. I have what it takes to raise this mm-hmm. child? You know what I mean? And it's like, and I think the answer is that when you first have that baby, I mean, is any person really good enough to like take on the burden of raising another child? The answer is probably no. Right. 
But the thing is that no matter who you are and no matter what the situation is with your child, you grow into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was what I found was that like I didn't start out being good enough to raise a child with a seizure disorder and a heart condition and Mm -hmm. who went to the emergency room like five times in a six month span. I I didn't start out that way, but but I grew into it. You know what I mean? And then at the end, I was like, wow, like I I can do this. Yeah. And it gave me that confidence and not just me. Because not at the end of the day, it's not really all about me. But but Lulu can do this. Yeah, like she can do this. Like we're gonna do this together. Yeah, like she is tougher than I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I realized, but also like even even though it's so hard, like like we we can do this. Yes, and, he, and we as a family unit can do this. Yes, and we as an extended family and our yeah. community and our friends. And I, this is this is a, a common thing that I think need, needs to be is we, we hear this. With families who have children with special needs, you've heard it, um, but it needs to be continued to be retold, which is um, the, we are better for it. You know, we yep. are better oh, for yeah. it. We are, it's those difficult times that, that help you better mm-hmm. appreciate the good times. Yeah. And recognize what what is possible, what you're capable of, and mm-hmm. appreciate that. So anyway, yep. so, you know, that's kind of why we're telling this, part of the reason why we're spending a lot of time on this Um it's been kind of good to go back through it and yeah. remember some of these things. And but again, so it, it was. It's both challenging and and very at the same very much an opportunity for us to grow together as a family and come yeah. closer. Oh and, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and I I think that's like I think that is like I think what you're saying is exactly right. And that's like that is like the message at the end of all of this. It's like like if, if if you are someone listening to this podcast who's in that situation, who's just getting the diagnosis, or who's going through this, and you do think to yourself like. How how am I gonna like how am I gonna do this? The answer is that you will do it. You will do it. Not because it's easy and not necessarily even because you want to, but just because you have to and you're a parent and that's what it means to be a parent. And you're not but, alone. But like how beautiful is that? Yeah, no, it is. You it know? is. That's but parenthood in general is yeah. like, a lot of that. But and you're not alone. Or if you know yeah. if you are listening and you know a family that may be just learning about, you know, a diagnosis, um, uh something along these lines or maybe be beginning a journey something like this you know encourage them if they don't already to to reach out to a community in their area or they can reach out to us yep. there's a lot of different ways you can find other yep. families that are there to support you they've been there before we've benefited greatly of, you know, yeah. because of that and so um so you know you're not alone and that's a big deal yeah okay so with that i think we wanted to kind of wrap up yes this this topic altogether. Um, and take the, the next few minutes just to remind people, hey, we're on iTunes. If you could rate us. Yeah, rate, subscribe, review. Rate, subscribe, review. It's, so, it's helpful. It's helpful for a lot of reasons. It's helpful because feedback helps us actually do a better job. Yes. Two, feedback and rating helps others find us. And if you spend time trying to find a, a, a podcast on iTunes about families raising children with special needs, you're not going to find a lot. Yeah. And a lot of them, like, they – the podcasting stopped a couple years ago. Yeah. So, so there's, you know, so this is kind of again help other helping others is yeah. kind of is a big part of what we're here to do. Yeah, um, and we want to keep doing this. So it's you know the more people that find it and the more people that listen to it, the easier it is obviously to just continue. You, and hey, by the way, go to our website. It keeps getting better all the time because of the good work Sharon puts into it. <laughs> um, so go there. You can see show a notes. masterpiece. You can just see kidding. the links to other cool things we keep talking about. Um, other stories, other resources. Um, yeah, and so then, it's, it's www.specialstory with an e.com. .com. 
and then you just got our Facebook page going. We already had an Instagram page. Now you got a Facebook page going. So um, you can find us a special story on Facebook. Yep. And shout out today to my sister-in-law, Jill, her mother, Mrs. Watson, who we know. Her husband is actually the one, if you've listened several episodes back, her husband was the one who did the refereeing for the Apple Cider Cup, whereby all of the Story Cousins, of which there are many, played a flag football game. And he was the ref. He had the striped shirt on. And he was amazing. And now he has to do it every year. But his wife, Mrs. Watson, sent us an email just saying she was listening to the podcast and... We appreciate it. So, yes. hi, Mrs. Watson. She did some awesome <laughs> feedback for us as yes, well. Yes, she did. And it's like, I almost don't want to say too much of what she said in her email here because I want to talk about it in a later podcast. Yeah. So, Mrs. Watson, we love you. Yep. We're thinking of you. Thank We're thinking you about what support. you wrote. Yes. We will take your notes into consideration. We'll talk about them later. Yep. So, with that, I think that's all for that's today. That's it. Okay. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye, everybody. All right. Bye. 